Hey guys, welcome to Rach Talk, my weekly show where I sit here, sit wherever, drink caffeine and talk about random things. Today I'm telling you about the interaction I had last night with a group of hot firefighters, the fact that a spirit animal flew into my house today, and I'm giving you a private concert with my new guitar skills. Jack, I'm just putting some cuticle oil on because, you know, I don't get my, um, I don't get like nail polish anymore, which means that my natural nails have got to look slamming. So that means a lot of cuticle oil. Also, if you pull this out on the plane, the flight attendant has a panic attack. So you can't put nail polish. You can't put nail polish on the plane. I'm always like, it's oil. But I don't like getting in trouble, so I'm like, I, well, it's... You're not even gonna believe what happened. Last night, I have to go pick up my child, my 13-year-old from baseball. And it's dark. And it's like, I would rather be in bed. So I'm wearing pajamas and slides and no bra, because I am just driving to pick up this child and then driving back. I pull out of my driveway drive two seconds down the road. I live in the country and I live on like a country road and there's not a lot of activity around these parts. And as I'm driving to my right, I see a car like on the side of the road. I'm like, oh, that's a weird spot for a car. My brain's kind of not processing what's happening. And then I get a little bit closer and I realize the car's like in the road. It's an accident. Car, the, the, the hood is smoking, there's gas running into the street. I'm like on what appears to be an abandoned country road with a car accident that has clearly just happened. I slow down. A man wanders out of the bushes. And I'm like, are you okay? Do you need help? and he can only speak Spanish. And he's obviously disoriented because he's just been in a car accident. So I'm trying to speak Spanish to him. He's trying to speak English to me. He's got blood everywhere. I'm like, I, uh, he had his phone and he was like trying to get, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and so I said, just un momento, like let me, I'm gonna call 911. Cause like he's clearly hurt. Nobody else is around us. I call 911 and I'm like, I wanna make sure this guy's okay, but I'm also a woman by myself. This is a man alone. I don't know what's happening. So I call 911, I'm like talking to them, like I, we need, you know, fire department, blah, blah, blah. And I see him start to sort of like wander. I'm talking, they're like, is he okay? I'm like, he definitely has blood. He's definitely disoriented. I look up again and he's like half a mile down the road in the dark. I'm like, on the phone with 911, I'm like, he's, he's gone, he's gone. And they're like, is he under the influence? I'm like, no, I genuinely think he's in shock. And he's like, so now I'm like, do I chase this man into the countryside in the dark? They're like, ma'am, just stay where you are, stay, stay there. We're, the fire trucks are on the way. I'll tell you what, if you have an issue in a small town in Texas, Every neighbor I have never met was like in their car, are you okay, do you need, I'm like, this is not my accident. And new car would come by every, 
hey, are you okay? We're just, we live up the street. We heard a commotion. I'm like, I, I am not involved in this. I'm just now the only one around with this car accident happening. Fire trucks come, sheriff department comes. They're like, where is the per, I'm like, I do not know. They had to go find him, but he like had gotten disoriented and like wandered off. They did eventually find him, everything was okay. It was the weirdest experience. I'm like on a country road alone, all of this is happening. The man is okay, the car is okay. My neighbor's fence, not okay. Here's what you need to know. If you are single, if you are a single woman in this area, you need to find a reason to call the fire department. OMW, on my way to you. Good at what I do, I'm OMW. I am happily in love, happily. But when I tell you that a boy band wearing firemen ensembles rolled out of this fire truck, all like, how can we be helpful? How can we be strong? How can we wear suspenders? Ha <laughs> ha, what? I did not tell my boyfriend that when I, this morning, cause he's gone for work and I called him and I was like, I'm telling him this crazy stuff. I did not tell him the fire department part. That was a one fire truck. There was a second fire truck that came a minute later. Can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. There were another whole crew. Do you need, do you need help? Do you need medical assistance? I was like, do I? I don't know. What is it about firemen and women? I mean, I'm not gonna, if you're a firewoman, you're probably hot too. What is it about the uniforms? Why is it different than the police department or the military? Like, if you were, if I was telling my kids, my, my two oldest were like, what's going on? I was like telling them the story. And I told them, I was like, I'm gonna be honest. Here's a life lesson you don't know, but you will know. If you are a fire person, you're hot. Out of your uniform, I don't know. But in your uniform, you know how like they load up in the fire truck and then they all go to the grocery store to buy like ingredients for chili or whatever you guys do? Why are you so hot? <sighs> and then I was, all of this commotion, I'm like trying to be a superhero, I'm trying to make sure everyone's okay. And then I realized this whole time, your girl has been in a t-shirt, like I'm wearing a Nirvana t-shirt. I never get hit on more in life ever than when I'm wearing that Nirvana shirt. No bra, and I was like, it was all a clever ruse, apparently. Wow, wow. The man is okay. The car is not okay. The fence is not okay. I don't mean to make light of a car accident, but I do want you to know that if you are single, put your cat up a tree. That's not a euphemism. Maybe it is. Okay, that was one thing. That was one thing. That was last night. This morning, you guys, I'm doing my meditation and I'm visual, you know what? We visualize our future. If you're not familiar with this, you're gonna go listen to episode 72 of the podcast. There's a whole thing where it's like, you gotta know where you're going. You gotta be like very specific with the universe, with yourself, with your goals. Like this is where I'm headed. So I'm doing my, man, my uh, meditation this morning, manifesting the future that I want. And I just got back from Nashville where I did another round of songwriting, which like we're gonna show you the coolest stuff um, about what I've been working on. But 
I've had so many people lately ask me like, why are you writing songs? What, like, what's the goal? Everyone's like, what's the goal? What are we working towards? What's the project? What's the goal? And for a minute I got thrown off because so many people were like asking me what the goal was that I felt like I should have one. And then I remembered that I'm 39 years old, that I am a mother of four, that at this point in life, most of us don't try and sort of try new things or learn new hobbies or learn new skills, and I am. And so the goal with songwriting is just, I'm challenging myself in a new way, I'm writing in a new medium, I am having so much fun, I am meeting the coolest people, and I get to see, like sort of, I'm learning a new way to storytell, and it's really rad, and so, Anyway, I was meditating because I was like, well, all these people are asking me what the goal is and like maybe I should have one, like something besides joy. <laughs> I was like feeling really one with the universe, Jack. I was like really connected, really aligned. I, you know, open my eyes, done my meditation, I'm ready. And all of a sudden I hear like a flutter of wings. And I'm like, oh God, please don't let a bird fly in. Why? Because there's so much glass and the birds get confused. The birds are already slamming into these windows without the door open. So if one gets in, I'm here by myself. It's like Apollo 13, there's no hope. Houston, we have a problem. That's one of the funnier things I've ever said. It turned out okay though. I think Apollo 13 is the one with Tom Hanks and they like figure out a way to survive. It's Apollo, uh, it's Tom Hanks and Bill Pullman and they live. I think. That's not the point. The point is, I'm like, please don't let a bird fly in. I look over, bird. Bird is the word. Bird is sitting on a chair on my dining room table. And I'm like, no. So I'm like, okay, all I gotta do is angle myself, come over here, I mean, Jack, maybe you could draw this like a football play. Like, I'm here, bird's there. If I could just get myself over here, then the bird will fly back out the door. I get myself over here, the bird panics, slams into that window, slams into that door, slams into that window, ends up in the den. The den is in the back of the house. The den is where my office is. I'm like, I don't have a way to open doors and windows to get that bird out of the den. That poor, precious bird slamming into the window in the den, right? And I'm like, ah! So what do I do? I call the bird whisperer. I call the person who's got all these birds coming into my house. I interrupt him in a very important meeting in New York, pull him out of it. I said, this is an emergency. I don't know how to fix this myself. We've got an issue. He's like, okay, okay, calm down. Show me what kind of bird it is. And I'm like, all right, I FaceTime, show boo. Here's the bird, what he's like, all right, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna close all the other doors in the house. You're gonna, you know, with it. So I follow his instructions. I'm gagging the whole time because every time that bird slams into the window again, I think this bird's death is about to be on my shoulders. And you'll recall, I've already had the traumatic experience this month with the bird dying in the window. You can cut to that, Jack. It was like the worst. Through a series of hand gestures, leading, doors closed, all the doors to outside, I finally get this bird to go outside. Here's what's crazy. I know what kind of bird it is, because I love this bird, one of my favorite birds. It's a wren, they're really cute. I love that bird because my initials growing up were R-E-N, wren. I sometimes thought I'd have like a cool alter ego, she'd be like, 
I don't know, a hippie and rad and whatever, and her name would be Ren. That's not the point. The point is, it was such a weird experience and it happened right at the tail end of this manifestation moment that I was like, I'm gonna look up what the spiritual significance is of a Wren. Hold on to your hat, Jack. Hold on to it. Get ready. If you have weird like animal interactions and you don't look up what the spiritual significance is of that animal, you are missing out. The spiritual significance of a wren. The wren is a small bird, widely considered a harbinger of spring and rebirth. It is also a symbol of the arts because of its association with poets, songwriters, musicians, and anyone who writes or crafts written work. <laughs> The universe? I just said the universe. <laughs> I got so excited. The universe is freaking wild. Wild. I don't know. Energetically, vibrationally, I was putting off such high energy about the writing that I'm doing that this wren was sucked into my orbit. And I had to guide it back out. That's what was happening. Um, speaking of music, my... 15 year old and I had a conversation about music last night and it was wild. Number one, I grew up, I said, Jackson, I, I need you to understand that when I was little, the internet didn't exist. And his brain like, does not compute, does not compute. Couldn't process that. I said, when you got a computer, because I also didn't grow up in a world where everybody had computers. I said, when your family saved up for three years and got a Commodore 64. Are you keeping up with the Commodore? Because the Commodore's keeping up with you. That you put on the dining room table and then everybody got to try out. That computer could only do what was inside of that box. There was no like connect to something else. So I'm trying to explain this to him because I'm trying to explain to him that once upon a time, if you wanted to listen to music, you went to a store that sold CDs. Yes, there were record stores, he knew that. But I'm like, Jackson, there's, you know, you're, you're gonna run down to Sam Goody. Raise the roof, huh? A cheeseburger, please. <laughs> hey, uh, Slick. Sam Goody sells music. Okay, and you're going, there's a store that just has CDs. And he was like, what? Think about this. That, that, that thing, a CD player, or a CD to a 15-year-old boy or girl, it's something that came into being and already like was wiped out before they ever, and I'm like, you went and bought a CD and it was $20, maybe. And you did it because you liked one song. Yeah, occasionally there would be a single that you could, but you went for one song and then you were, you were bought in. You were listening to the whole album. I was trying to explain all this to him because I was trying to explain to him what Napster was. 1.5 million songs, unlimited access, own nothing, have everything, join us. Because I'm like, oh, it was the first time that somebody basically just put all the songs and they were like crappy quality, whatever, but you could go in and like burn 
a CD off Napster and like the whole thing. And so halfway through the discussion, I just started taping myself because I was like, this is the wildest explanation. And also like for sure embellishing and for sure telling lies. Because I told him that there was a little girl who got prosecuted for um, using Napster because they were trying to um, like prove a point. And that I said that she got like a hundred years to life in prison. And he was like, you are, absolutely lying and he googled it and she had a two thousand dollar fine which is very different than a hundred years to life so napster put all the music on a website and then you could go if you knew how to use the internet which like three people did one kid in my grade named nathaniel victor who knew how to use a computer and the internet and he would charge you 20 bucks for 20 songs. It was genius. It became really popular. Kids all over the country getting on Napster making CDs. And it was such a crazy like pirating thing for years. The music industry was like, kids, we will destroy you if you keep using Napster. And then eventually Napster went away. Oh, would you like a little update on my guitar playing skills? So the guitar that I played for you last time, somebody gave me as a, a gift. They had it and they, have a lot of guitars, so they gave me that guitar. But I felt like it was important to buy my own guitar, so I went shopping, and um, I'm obsessed with this. It's a Taylor guitar, and it's called a something mini, so you can tell it's like a little bit smaller, and I love it, so they're all different, but I love it because it's got this like, the wood has that cool, and look, at, I mean, Jack, isn't this gorge? Okay, oh, Shiza, sorry. I'm not saying it's good, but it's something. Okay, let's do, I wanna play, I'm gonna play a song using my app. But it's not like, it's not like you're, you'll hear, it's not like a, it's not like, like playing a real song, but it is an improvement over the E chord, Jack. I think that's E minor. This is cheesy, but I don't care. Cause I couldn't do this when I first tried to show you guys. We got it, guys. We got it. point I can play tab and that's interesting and that's better than it was guys we're mere moments away from something really magical happening but maybe nothing I'm real bad at the chords guitar players fellow guitar players um, number one I am getting calluses on my fingers so that's fun but um, chords are so freaking hard I still suck in a lot of ways, but I think that one of the things I'm best at is being willing to suck 
for as long as it takes me to become better. And like I said, I'm really just enjoying the process of getting to learn about how music is made. Along that journey, I had the most incredible opportunity to interview one of the most well-known songwriters in Nashville. So his name's Tom Douglas, and he is amazing, amazing, amazing. He's written a million songs that I love. He wrote a song called The House That Built Me by Miranda Lambert, which is um, was considered song of the decade uh, by the CMAs and like just all sorts of stuff. It's He's awesome. And uh, Jack and I went out to his place and got to sit with him and just hear about the creative process. How do you write songs? How do you you know, do this, and he has an incredible story in that he didn't actually become successful as a songwriter until he was like 40 or something. Just a really cool story of someone who chased a dream later in life and made it in the highest possible echelons of the field. So I would love, if you haven't checked it out already, the interview is here on YouTube. You can find it on the podcast as well. But I want to share just a few minutes of that conversation because I know you guys are going to dig it as much as I did. So here is a little bit of my interview with Tom Douglas. I love your story so much. And uh, from the outside looking in, I never would have understood the journey that you took to get here had I not watched the movie. Yeah. So could you tell the story of how how did you get to this point? Well, it's a circuitous route, as you can imagine. Um, I, I have, I can't. I grew up in a household that was very, um, you know, creative in a way. Even though my father was with a steel salesman, uh, he was a, really an artist at heart. My mother was an interior decorator. Just had an amazing eye for design. So we grew up with you know, artistic things and love of beauty in the household. And of course, the way you grow up, you assume that that's the way everybody else grew up, but yeah. it didn't. It was a very artistic household looking back. And, but my parents were both children of the depression. My father was born in 1911 and my mother was born in 1917. So they were formed by that, you know, that uh, job security and education. Those were really the, the preeminent pillars upon which my family was built you 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 go to school and you go as far as you can go and then you get a job and you do it for 45 years so yeah. I and my parents sacrificed for me to go to you know um, a private high school and then I went to college and graduate school and then I got a job in real estate and I really tried to do that because I, I even though I I had this parallel life of songs and music and um, you know, I just fell deeply in love with songs really because my father loved songs and music, but, um, there was no possible way that I was going to pursue it as a vocation because I couldn't do that to my parents. But, you know, the, the soundtrack followed me everywhere I went and I really tried to focus on real estate and fitting in with a blue suit and a red tie and a black suburban and a cell phone. I really tried to do that, but I just finally couldn't do it. The songs finally chased me down and at 27 I ran away from home for the first time <laughs> and I moved to Nashville and I was here four years on the outside looking in got nothing going my father got ill and I had to care for him at the same time so I reinvented myself as a real estate broker and moved west to Dallas met my wife uh, here in Nashville and we got married 
uh, about six months later. And really, I really just tried to start over again back in real estate with the blue suit, the red tie, and the black suburban. And, you know, I just, uh, I did have a spiritual epiphany about, I guess, eight or nine years into it where I was so disappointed with my life at the age 39, even though from the outside, you would think this guy's, he's got a nice life. But that deep soul ache of not doing what I thought I was created to do was Mm -hmm. really killing me. Mm. And so at 39, I just screamed out, God, why am I jaded, cynical, and disappointed with my life? And God said, you've been worshiping the creation, not me, the creator. How's that working out? And it was just, it was a moment where I realized that this is, this is what it's like to worship an idol. Somehow mm-hmm. I had took, taken something that was good, which is music and songs, and turned it into an idol. And it, it ultimately was destroying me. Yeah. There's a great speech if you've never seen it. Uh, Jim Carrey is giving a commencement address. Have you seen this where he talks about his dad? Say it again. I mean, tell me. Yeah, so the idea is he's Jim Carrey. It's the height of his career, and he's telling the story about his father, who I think was a saxophone player. He's like, my dad was one of the most talented musicians. You know, I got so much of my talent from my dad, but he was terrified. He was terrified to pursue this life in music. And so he took a job as an accountant or something along those lines. And when he was in his mid-40s, he got laid off. Company closed down a division. He gets laid off and he never really gets a job again. And he says, so you can fail doing something you hate. Yeah. So you may as well try and fail doing something you love. Wow. Yeah. It's a really great speech. You can find it on YouTube. I I have seen it. I forgot that. That that is... That's really powerful. Yeah. So you, you, you cry out, you sort of have this moment. What do you decide to do with that information? Well, and then I, I really wanted to, I wanted to find the, you know, reclaim the gift of, of music, just the creative gift. I just wanted to find it again. And I think once I kind of realized that, you know, my, eyes were down here instead of up there it was like a weight fell off me it was like okay god is in control this is not random and i just want to regain the you know the gift of creativity again and i said i just want to enjoy it i don't care about nashville i don't care about anything i just want to find that love again and it was you know it was a pure moment you know, moments like that don't really last. You know, then I went quickly back to the idol worshiper <laughs> of success and validation yep. and everything else that the culture throws at you. Uh, but I did reclaim it and slowly started just kind of unthawing and writing songs again. Yeah. And when did you guys get back out here to Nashville? Well, and then about a year later, I, I, I sat down uh, early one Saturday morning and I, I wrote a song. I just sat down and I wrote a song that by myself that I loved and it was called Little Rock. And Oh, Tom, um, it is honestly one I could cry. <laughs> and, and I did when I watched the movie for the first time, understanding the backstory, you know, yeah. hearing the hearing the details about your dad and then getting to that. I honestly, when yeah. you sit down at the piano and you I haven't had a drink in 19 <laughs> days. Like I remember that. I remember Colin Ray. I remember being a little girl and that's yeah. on the radio and my grandpa's truck. Like I, I think that's what 
is so striking about your work is for those of us who grew up and are of a certain age and listen to country music, it's the soundtrack of our life. Yeah. And it's the soundtrack of your life. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't realize until probably two years ago that Little Rock was about my father. Oh, wow. It was pretty crazy. Wow. How beautiful. Yeah, it's, it is, it's, you know, biographical. Um, it's emotional to even think about. Yeah. It's strange after all that time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, those are pure moments that you wish you could have more of them, you know, where you really, you kind of break through the scar tissue and somehow you get down to the purity of, you know, love and, um, loss and, you know, pain and beauty. And so you by yourself write this song and you hadn't had any, you hadn't had success as a songwriter. No, yet. no. I mean, I had forsaken it. I hated Nashville. <laughs> I was never coming back. Nashville was a mistress. She's going to, she'll <laughs> carve your heart out from the back with a butter knife. That's what Nashville is. Yeah. And what did you do? Did you know you had a hit? No, no, no. Gosh, I didn't. But at that moment, I, I, something occurred to me. And again, I, I don't think you just wake up one day and think this. I, I think God just gives you occasional pearls, pearls of wisdom. I decided, you know, I'm going to create stuff and I'm just going to share it with anybody and everybody. And I've kind of been true to that since that moment. So I wrote Little Rock and I made a demo of it and it was a piano vocal. It was like literally five minutes long. And I just started sending it and giving it to anybody and everybody. And I, I literally, I, I still had a few contacts in Nashville and I would send the song to them and said, look, I'll give you the publishing on this. You can have the song if you'll just pitch it, if you'll just give me some encouragement. And everybody, nobody responded. Uh, but I reconnected with Paul Worley, who's like my guardian angel. And I had known him 10 years before as a guitar player in Nashville. And by this time, he was an executive at Sony Publishing. Mm -hmm. I gave Paul a cassette of Little Rock after four glasses of red wine at a <laughs> cocktail party at a songwriting seminar in Austin. Nice. And uh, I gave him a cassette. And miraculously, he listened and he said, I think I can get one of these songs cut. And he ran with it. And uh, well, he signed me to Sony Publishing in 1993. And uh, he got Little Rock recorded. And I've been with Sony since 1993. And how old were you at that point? At that point, I was 41. I love that because I feel like so many people think that the dream has a deadline. Yeah, you're and right. To, you don't hear a lot of stories of someone in their 40s yeah. getting the first big break. Right. Okay, guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me and listening to the random stories. If you are still here, if you are still paying attention, I feel like you gotta like it a little bit. Will you give this video a thumbs up and make sure you subscribe to the channel so you never miss out on an episode. If you're listening on podcasts, same request, subscribe so you get a notification whenever we post something new. I will be back next week, and until then, remember, I love you guys, and I'm rooting for you. Hey guys, this is Rachel Hollis and a quick word on doing something just for you. All right.
I have started a new hobby. If you have listened on podcast or watched on Rage Talk, then you have possibly heard me talk about songwriting. Started songwriting at the end of last year. I wanted to challenge myself. One of the things I want to do as a writer is to challenge myself to write in as many categories as I can in the course of my life. Because what I've learned, having written fiction books, cookbooks, nonfiction self-help, I have written you know, a journal, I have done a planner, I have done um, a screenplay, I've written a screenplay now, more on that later. And I thought, okay, what's my next iteration of writing? Because what I've learned is that every single time you write in a new category, you really have to challenge your brain to to work in a different way. Um, Writing a screenplay was incredibly difficult for me because you get so few words, kind of your only writing dialogue. Like you can't explain the room and you can't describe the character. It's just, it's a lot, guys. But it was such a challenge and I was so proud of myself when I did it. So the newest thing I wanted to try was songwriting because that's even shorter Forget, you know, a screenplay that gives you 100 pages. Now you've only got two verses and a chorus to, like, get the story across. And as a huge music nerd, I just thought it would be fun and I would, like, geek out over it. And I started writing in country music because country music really allows you to storytell. I hope in my life I get to experience writing in other categories because they're all going to be their own challenge. But I started in country music because I love country. And also, let's be honest, there's no other category that tells stories as well as country music does. So this is where I start. I figure out how I, you know, take a deep dive. I call people. I'm like, who can explain this to me? I start going to conferences. I start reading books and watching documentaries. And that's how I learn everything. I just jump on in. And I'm nerding out and I'm absolutely loving it. And the first time I connect with another songwriter, because essentially what they do is I write lyrics and someone else writes the music and then we work together and we make a song. And the very first time I partnered up with someone to do this, I was telling her the idea and then, okay, now we have a chorus and now we have this thing. And she starts playing and singing and I start bawling. Because I've just never seen this before. I've never seen my words like just put to music. And it was so fun. Shout out to McCall Chapin. She's amazing. And we had such a blast. We've gotten to work together a couple times now. But I loved the process. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to start taking trips to Nashville. I'm a big fan of Nashville. Always have fun there. But that is the heart of country music. Frankly, it's the heart of a lot of music. And I can go in and sit down in writing sessions with other writers and collab and it's fun and the whole thing. I'm having the best time. I am just living my best life. I'm literally sitting in rooms with people. It's so creative. And I'm like, how, how is this my life right now? How do I get to do this? This is crazy. And all of this is going on loving it, living it, learning every time, every person I work with, I'm like, my mind's exploding. I'm learning a ton. And at first people were like, that's cool because I was learning to do this thing and I was also, I am also learning guitar and all of it. And at first people were like, that's cool. I mean, some people were definitely like, what? Go write another book. Like go, you know, do the thing we know you to do. But most people were like, that's great. Love this for you. 
And now I've, I've officially hit a point where I've had like six or seven people lately, people I work with, people I know, friends, family, whatever, ask me, what are you doing? Why are you doing this thing? What, what, uh, what, what people keep asking, because back in the day when I hadn't had a lot of commercial success, people ask you, what are you doing in a very different way? Back in the day, people would be like, what are you doing? Like, who do you think you are? What are you, why, what? It was that. Now that I have proven that I have launched products, books, podcast, I've had success, right? Now people don't ask in that way. Now people go, well, what's the point? Like, what's the end game? What's the goal? What's the project? What are you doing? What are you building? What are you working on? And I had a couple of days, to be totally honest, where some, you know, probably some old insecurities of the past, I hear people say, what's your point? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have a point. I have to have a goal. I need a project. I need to be working towards something. Why am I doing this? And it took me a few days to process this. And the resolution that I got to, I really wanted to share with you guys in case you find yourself in a similar place. I am learning to write songs because I love it. It's a hobby. It's making my heart happy. I I feel honored to get to be part of the process. I'm here to learn. Every single time I go into a room in a songwriting session, I always say like, hey, I'd love to tell you my intention for this time and I'd love to hear yours. And my intention is always, I wanna learn from you guys. I wanna have fun. I wanna listen to cool music. And I wanna get some really good lines in here that you know, when you hear a song and there's a line, you're like, oh, for example, nobody asked, but I'm just going to tell you. For example, one of my favorite songs ever is Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. It's pretty old. So if you haven't heard it before, don't worry. Uh, but there's this amazing line, like in my opinion, one of the greatest lines in songwriting where he says he he ends up in a church service. And Mark Cohen is a Jewish man from, I think, Brooklyn. And he ends up in a church service in Memphis. And he's like singing with this woman on the piano. And she says, tell me, are you a Christian child? And he says, ma'am, I am tonight. Oh, so good. Ugh, I love that. So that's what I'm living for. That's why I'm sitting in these rooms. But I'm here. I'm here for the the joy of it. The absolute joy of getting to do something creative with no end game, with no goal, with no monetary thing attached to it. If you've ever read Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, I love that she says, like, if you can keep your creative process separate from any money, if you can just have something in your life that's just for you, that you don't try and sell, that you don't try and make a job or a success, what a gift. And like, we don't get to do that. There's a point in all of our lives as children, well, not all of our, some like Olympians or like prodigies don't have this, but most people will be like, oh, you're, you're playing drums in the symphonic band in middle school. Okay. What's the goal? What are you going to do with that? And if you're not going to do anything with your drums, your clarinet, your art, your photography, your dance, whatever, then you should stop. Because if we can't have money attached to something, then I guess it has no value. So I'm taking on a new creative project and process for the fucking joy of getting to do it. That's why. 
And I just want to give you that in case someone in your life is asking you why you have that hobby, whatever it is. You have that hobby because you're a human being and it feels good to do something that you enjoy. It feels good to be passionate about something. It feels good to be scared. You know, I love what I do, but I have done this for so long. I've I've had this podcast since 2017. I've published my first book in 2014. I've been speaking on stages for 15 years. I love it. I'm grateful. But y'all, I know how to do it. I know how to do those things. This new project, this new process, all of it, no idea what I'm doing. And the fear of that is excitement in my belly that makes me pump to get in another room and try a new thing. So yeah, do something because you love it, not because you're trying to turn it into something that feeds your ego. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.